Hi, this is Brian McQueen from The Score, and you're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We have something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Nee Wallace-Bruce, and I'm joined by the talented Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, how are you doing? Oh, you know what? I'm doing so much better now that I finally get to talk to you. It has been far too long, my brother. Indeed. You've been traveling around Western Canada doing comedy shows and whatever else. Yeah. But you're back in the six, back in the mix. And speaking of which, we have a a guest from a little further south, from Indiana, actually, the Hoosier State. He is a guy who covers all things paces and colts down there in that fine city. He's also a professor at Indiana University. So, Justin, did you bring your books? I hope you did. I brought my books and my glasses. Excellent, because it's going to be a test after this. It is the one and only, Mr. Kevin Bowen, Professor Kevin Bowen. How are you doing, Kevin? Uh, Thank you for having me. That was a very nice intro. So yeah, I appreciate you guys asking me to come on the pod. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you on. I have to ask, how did you get the eclectic combination of academic professor and also a sports reporter? Well, I'm the son of two teachers, so I, I, I think I've always had kind of the itch for the education bug and during the pandemic, um, we had a furlough within our company where I was you know, basically had one day off a week for quite a while. And so I did some substitute teaching as well and you know, had a class when I went to Indiana University that was taught by someone in the field at the time, very similar to what I'm doing now. And I felt like that was one of the more hands-on I had a lot out of. And so, you know, I, I always kind of told myself if I could ever give back and, and, you know, do the same thing for students at some point, I would love to do that. So yeah, going on three years, I think this will be my fourth year coming up in the spring semester and I've really enjoyed it. So uh, the IU Media School has been great to try to get people that I think are in the current field of an ever-changing industry to explain kind of real life stories. And um, it's been, I think, really beneficial to, to students. Yeah, that's awesome. And we love to see that, love to see that versatility. I'm guessing versatility is the key to making it in this industry. Is that right? Yeah, I would I, I would say that's exactly how I look at things within the industry and kind of what I try to instill to my students. You know, I'm a big believer in you got to be versatile to kind of survive in the field that is today. You aren't going to find just exclusively a writer, or exclusively a podcaster, or video. I mean, there might be some of those niches, but I think to be adaptive and, and really survive, you know, being cross-platform is huge. And that goes for social as well. So kind of the three core beliefs that I've always tried to produce my content by. And again, what I try to tell students is, one, I think be informative. Um, I think informative can be taken as just be honest, be credible. You know, journalism 101, have a level of integrity. That is an absolute must. I would say, too, is be available. Um, available is probably another word for versatile. And just, you know, again, putting yourself out there on different platforms. You don't have to be Pulitzer Prize winning across all those platforms. But 
show your audience that you are available in case they're not consuming maybe that exact platform that you're focused on. And then lastly, I think it's interactive. I kind of look at people that follow me on social media or, you know, readers or listeners. I mean, in a way, those are your clients. And without them, you probably don't have a job. So I, I think it's really important to be interactive with them, whether it's fielding questions or listening to them, those sorts of things. You don't have to agree with everything. And there's going to be trolls out there for sure. But I think it's really important to stand by, you know, being informative, being available and being interactive. Nice. And some nuggets there. Yes, I was going to say, I'm taking notes right now, considering we are from the same relative-ish cloth in terms of social media and stuff like that. Kevin, or Professor Kevin, Professor Bowen. <laughs> Please call me Kevin. <laughs> Sir, Mr. Bowen. <laughs> when, when you talk about social media presence, are you on various platforms like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that fun stuff? Or do you stick to kind of like a bit of a just Instagram or, or whatnot? Yeah, I'm on everything but TikTok. I've kind of been told that I need to do a little bit more of that. You know, to me, Twitter is a great mechanism. I know a lot of people have negative you know, stereotypes with it, but you can control your timeline for the most part. Um, I think it's a great news source. I think it can be really interactive and provide a lot of different, you know, outlets for you. You can have, you know, make lists there. So maybe you have more of a professional uh, list of Twitter followers. Maybe you have a little bit more of a personal. I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan. You know, I, I, I've got kind of my Notre Dame area of Twitter. I'm a big golfer. I've got my golf area of Twitter. Then I also have obviously a professional side of things um, that's a little bit more work centric. I think Instagram's outstanding from from behind the scenes. You know, as we're talking right now, I'm driving up to Colts training camp. Uh, it's their second to last practice of camp, and inevitably, I'll probably put a couple of videos, a couple of pictures on Instagram today. Of you know, we we get a credential, we get access to behind the scenes stuff, to see things and listen to things that not a lot of people do. And I think it's our job to, you know, take readers, take listeners, take consumers um, with us on that on that credential journey, if you will. Like, all right, this is a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. So that's, you know, Twitter and Instagram, I would say, the ones that you mentioned, those are the ones that I use most frequently. I was going to say, that's the kind of ones we use as well. But Pro Sports Podcasters has a, its own little TikTok. And uh, it's, a, it's a dangerously easy market to do well in if you market yourself relatively well. Like our videos are hitting close to, if not a thousand per, I guess, post, I guess. And to the point where it's starting to like reach out and we're, I got a bunch of DMs about collaborating with somebody just recently. So I'm going to have to touch base with that and finish it later on. But for, to further my point, posting those videos on TikTok, like you would post Instagram, cause you can do both. It's, they're connected. will just grow that much more. So it's probably something just to consider just, uh, if I could give some wisdom to the teacher. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. I mean, something I think we're always striving to do in this industry, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say something that we're always kind of striving to do is how do you reach a younger demographic? Um, and I think TikTok is, you know, a great place to do that. And I also think, and this can go across, I think, any industry, but nowadays I, I would be willing to guess that social media is probably your introduction to a large chunk of your future audience. They're probably going to find you on some social media platform first. So again, making sure you are out there or available is is really key. That's a hundred percent. It. I'm mean, like I said. It's we're starting to deal with. Uh, we're starting to get collaboration kind of people requesting us to do uh, TikToks with them. So I'm very, very proud nice. of that. But now, just to kind of move forward really, really quickly, I was reading about Sanchez potentially suffering a season-ending Achilles injury. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, we're still waiting on official word. I don't know, maybe it's come out since I've been on this call. But um, yeah, Rigoberto Sanchez, their punter towards Achilles, or reportedly towards Achilles. 
yesterday during practice. It was kind of freaky. The Colts are ending practice with running team sprints. They've only done it one other time in camp as a full team. And Sanchez went down. Um, they have had some kind of slippage issue up at training camp with their fields. And yeah, you feel awful for the guy. I don't know how familiar people are with this story, but you know, he's been the punter since Pat McAfee retired and has gone on to a massive media career. And just filling those shoes, first off, I think is a big deal. Secondly, he's done it very well. And then a few years ago, he had, he had a cancer scare, uh, I believe in his kidney area where he missed two games. Now, everything was fine. He ended up you know, being okay. But yeah, just such a freak kind of flukish thing. And so you hope it you know, obviously doesn't impact him too much moving forward because those injuries can be, you know, really, really tough to come back from, particularly a guy that, you know, uses his leg so much. Yeah, that's definitely something scary. Nobody likes any type of injury or cancer scare. Yeah, it's something you never want to see. And hopefully, hopefully it's not as bad as, as feared. But if it is what it may potentially be, and it is a, a season-ending situation, uh, Buffalo did release Matt Hawk the punter there, and he might be on Chris Ballard's radar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Colts uh, played the Bills in the first preseason game this year, so they got to look at the punt god. He banged one eighty-two yards in that game against the Colts. So mm-hmm. there, there's not a lot of punting battles going around in the NFL. Obviously, Buffalo had one, so those are the ones that the Colts will need to explore and uh, and they need a new holder and a new kickoff specialist as well because those were other duties that Sanchez did, assuming that this injury is season-ending. Oh, I mean, do we ring up Adam Vinatieri and see if he wants to do some <laughs> kickoff and holding duties? <laughs> yeah, knowing Adam, I think he's very content in, in hunting life. Uh, I know he's a big hunter. Uh, and also, he's going to be a busy man traveling a little bit on the road, I'd assume, this fall. His son is a freshman at Ball State, which is a university, Division One school, about 45 minutes northeast of Indy. And uh, he is a kicker. So I don't know if you can expedite that process to get him uh, to the NFL. Or, you know, again, does Pat McAfee want to probably take a massive pay cut and uh, come back to the NFL? So it'll be <laughs> interesting to see how the Colts operate with that. No doubt. Now, i got to ask, as someone who's been following the – the silver horseshoe for so long. What makes Chris Ballard such a shrewd and, I guess, well-regarded GM? It seems like when it, whether it's a draft or free agency, he always seems to make these moves that has the league, the rest of the league saying, wow, I wish I had a GM like that. Yeah, I'd say some of Ballard's kind of core beliefs. He's a, he's a super patient guy when it comes to roster moves. You know, if you look at their quarterback situation, for example, this past year, you know, they first evaluated those free agents, and it wasn't a great group of free agent quarterbacks. The Mitchell Trubisky's, you know, the Jameis Winston's, the Marcus Mariota's. They didn't love any of them. So they thought to themselves, all right, we can sign the last of those quarterbacks available. We don't think there's a steep drop-off between the first free agent quarterback or the fifth one. But we'll bank on some quarterback dominoes falling and us kind of entering that picture at some point. And I think the quarterback dominoes at the start of last offseason, you know, you had Russell Wilson, you had potentially Aaron Rodgers, and you had Deshaun Watson. Obviously, the Rodgers one never came to fruition. The Wilson one, you know, just sent Drew Locke directly to Seattle, so that didn't necessarily lead to anything. But the Watson one, you know, led to, you know, Baker Mayfield being available, Pat Ryan being available, 
and that's where the Colts were in, able to enter and make a make a move for Ryan. I also think they do. They had a nice, attractive situation to Ryan in that, you know, it's a highly regarded offensive line. It's the best running back in the NFL. You know, those sorts of things are going to be attractive to any quarterback. Um, so I, I think having a level of patience, you know, from a drafting standpoint, Ballard is really big on you know, high-end athletic traits and high-end character traits. I know this might seem like kind of obvious areas, but I think there's a lot of guys the Colts wouldn't even have on their draft board due to character. It might surprise some people. And at first I'm kind of like, well, you know, are you trying to win, you know, Community Tuesday events or are you trying to win Super Bowls? But, you know, when you think deeper into the character thing, you know, a lot of it is football character. You know, how much does the guy love the game? How much is he willing to work? You know, Naheem Hines, for example, for the Colts, had a really struggling first preseason uh, in 2018. Ball security issues, and just he almost looked kind of lost out there. But the Colts, you know, drafted him partly because there's a level of high character there that when adversity hits, this guy's going to be willing to work and overcome those things. And he has. And now he's a really you know, key cog in what they're trying to do offensively. Uh, it certainly hasn't been perfect for Ballard. I mean, it's a team that's won one playoff game in his tenure. The record, um, I think, hovers right around 500. But from a drafting standpoint, they have, you know, made some really nice picks. Um, I think the question for a lot of people comes more to do with, do you have a team that is built for modern-day NFL? I think there are some really good pieces on your on your team, but it is a lot of, you know, guard, linebacker, running back. Those aren't really the positions you think about in today's NFL. And I think that's something that is holding this team back. Yeah, you're right. You want to have guys in the trenches that will help with the protect the quarterback and you know, I'll augment the running game, especially with Jonathan Taylor being the beast that he is. Shout out to fantasy footballers out there getting ready for draft season. But losing Shaquille Leonard to start uh, the season is not ideal as well, given that he's such a tackle machine. But the Colts are still still in the frame to win the AFC South. Or is that the feeling on the streets in Indianapolis that you're division of contenders? Yeah, without question. I mean, certainly it's a feeling in Vegas. You know, if you look in Vegas, the Colts are the favorite to win the South. If you were to walk up anybody here in Indianapolis, they'd probably say it's about, you know, bleeping time. You know, the Colts dominated, dominated the AFC South, really from about 2002 to about 2014. I'd be willing to bet during that stretch, whenever the NFL expanded and welcomed in another division, they... um they probably won from 02 to again 2014. They probably won 10 of those division titles, but they haven't won one since. And the rest of the teams in their division have won them. Uh, the rest of the teams in their division have gone deeper in the playoffs at different points than the Colts have as well. So I do think that is an element of this has kind of been the hanging cloud over the Colts. It's that, you know, when they make the playoffs, it's in the wild card. It's a conference that I think has three pretty good divisions. Arguably, some of those three are really, really good in the AFC West for sure. And the AFC South is kind of the, you know, uh, I don't know, the, 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 the Big East of college football. I guess the Big East is in and around. But like the Pac-12 or the ACC, you know, it's not the SEC. It's not the Big Ten. And if you look at it this year and what Tennessee did in the offseason – and trade away A.J. Brown, I just think that adds to how golden of an, of an opportunity that the Colts have within this mm-hmm. division. So I think it's a feeling of it's about time 
that they do go ahead and get back to top the AFC South and host a playoff game for the first time in uh, eight years. Damn, eight years, that's a long time. Yes, yes, it is a long time to do anything. Teach, not win, lose, doesn't matter. Eight years <laughs> is a big time. This episode is brought to you by Sports Interaction, Canada's most trusted sports book with betting options available from every sport you can imagine. From futures and money line betting to real-time live betting during games, Sports Interaction offers its customers the most competitive odds in Canada. So head on over to our website and sign up today as Sports Interaction also has a nice deposit bonus if you click on the link. It's available in every province from coast to coast. Now back to the show. So I'm not exactly the biggest NFL guy. Kobe and you know this, and I'll attest to this myself. But just looking back at the previous stats of the Colts with going 9-8, and eight, do you feel as if they'll be able to transcend that this year, maybe go 10-7, and 11-6? Yeah, I think when you look at the schedule, they do play the AFC West. Um, so they didn't get the right draw there. And just, you know, which AFC division do you play? Uh, but you play the AFC South. So that means, you know, four games with Houston – and Jacksonville. Uh, they also play the NFC East, and I think that is a division that you probably wouldn't put atop, you know, some others out there in the NFC. Um, so I think when you consider those two things, you know, hovering right around 10 or 11 wins is fair. You know, I brought up Vegas earlier. I think the over-under is nine and a half wins for the Colts this season. I mean, they were right on the doorstep last year, and they just, you know, kind of pissed down their leg in the final two weeks of the season to miss the playoffs. So, mm. I think uh, right in that 10 to 11 win range makes a lot of sense. Okay, that's good. I mean, obviously we like success. Uh, I do believe a few of my friends cheer for the Colts. Again, I'm not too sure, but uh, go Colts in this situation. So aside from obviously the punter issue, which they may evidently have, is there anything that you'd like to see from potentially upper management that could benefit the Colts going forward, either intermittently or evidently for the future? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I guess I'll go big picture first. The long-term quarterback is still undecided. Uh, Nick Foles is their backup. He's not, you know, in his 20s by any means. So they've had this revolving door since Andrew Luck retired. I think this will be the sixth straight different week one quarterback they've had, uh, Matt Ryan being 37 years old. So, you know, from a stability standpoint, at the most important position in sports, they got to find something there. In terms of the short term, I think the biggest questions about this year's team would revolve around their pass catchers. Mm. Uh, when I say pass catchers, I kind of group wideouts and tight ends together. You know, wideout-wise, the most experienced wide receiver on the roster is Michael Pittman, and he's played 30 games in the NFL. If you look at their tight end position behind Mo Cox, who you know, still is kind of yet to be that definite number one tight end, mm. uh, they have 11 total catches among the other tight ends on the roster. Um, that's five, I think it's five guys combining for 11 catches, and one of them, Kylan Granson, has all 11 of them. Um, so I would say it's one of the more inexperienced, unproven pass-catching groups in the league, and I think that's the biggest question mark for this team entering the season. Okay. Well, I mean, hopefully they'll be able to kind of straighten that out. It's uh, It's been eight years. Eight years is a long time. Now, there's going to be some galaxy brain here, but Kevin, are you aware that the Colts haven't won a season opener in, in said eight years? Yeah, I, I, I am. Um, I, I've brought that stat up probably to our listeners of our morning show way too much um, over the past you know, nearly decade now. you got to go back to the start of the 2013 season, and the quarterback of the 
Oakland Raiders that day that the Colts beat the Raiders in week one was one Terrell Pryor. Ah, the wide um, so receiver. That is, <laughs> it, it, exactly. That's how long it's been since a week one win. It's wild. Home, away, good teams, bad teams, blowouts, close games, you name it, the Colts have done it in week one. This year, they are an eight-point favorite right now in week one at Houston. It's the biggest favorite of any team in week one. And honestly, if you want to stretch it a little further, guys, it's not just week one. Yes, they've lost eight straight season openers. But if you look at the month of September, I think they're like 6-11 and 11 or 6-12 and 12 in the Ballard era. They've just been slow on both sides of the ball early in the year. And now quarterback play and the revolving door there certainly has something to do with it. But defensively, that's also been an issue when they've had, you know, a lot of continuity on that side of the ball from a scheme standpoint. So uh, that is a big elephant in the room at Houston, at Jacksonville to start the year. There are two road games or two divisional games. Those obviously mean a whole lot for many reasons. Uh, they're probably two of the easier games on your schedule. And then if you look at weeks three, four, and five, it's home to Kansas City, home to Tennessee, and then at Denver on Thursday night football in a short week. So the schedule really, you know, toughens up very quickly. So, yes, it is paramount here to, you know, play from the right side of the eight ball and not get behind the eight ball like they've done in so many years. Absolutely. Yeah. they gotta they got to start fast and finish strong if they want that division title and if they want to go on to – bigger things. I mean, it does help that they have a former MVP in Matt Ryan moving the chains in the offense. Now, just staying in the vein of being behind the ball, you said you're into golf, so I have to ask on behalf of our third host, Kobe, who's not with us today, what are your thoughts on the LIV intervention? Yeah, I, I am uh, I'm not a fan of it. I think the competition is not what the meritocracy of pro golf has been for so, so long. You don't even need to debate the morals, where that money's coming from, if you don't even want to get into that part of it. Again, I just think it's weak competition, 54-hole events, shotgun, limited fields, no cut, all those things. Um, I think golf is you know, one of the few sports where you really earn what you get in terms of Jordan Speed had his make, his make his way through the Corn Ferry Tour. Tiger Woods got sponsors exemptions, but then he had to do something with those sponsors exemptions in order to make it. So I, I, that's what's kind of frustrated to me. And I think it just splinters the game of golf, um, which is disappointing. You know, seeing Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy and those guys playing together, uh, now it's just the four majors that you're going to see that. And it's a bummer. I think it's a bummer for passionate golf fans. I think it's a bummer for the diehard golf fans. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's just disappointing to see the game splinter like that with so many prominent faces. Yeah, it's it's not great. I mean, I guess playing four days of golf is not for everyone, but it is a bit of a cop-out, in my opinion, from some of those guys who have jumped ship. Yeah, I do wonder if that's something they'll come to regret down the line, but it's still early days, no doubt. Yes, it's definitely the early days, but I heard the uh, the PGA is making an elite division, essentially where it has, I think it was like top 40 or top 50 playing against each other. So, I mean, that's that would be interesting to watch. I'm not going to lie. But uh, that's also going to scare the pants off some players who are ranking like 90th or 100th. You know what I mean? So, it's like if they want to devote themselves to the PGA, but they can't play in the elites, obviously, they're going to have to get better. But then there's always Liv who's going to offer them more blood money, if you will. So, 
I don't know. It's right. uh, it's interesting. I mean, competition does breed excellence. So this could be almost what the PGA needs to make itself more known, especially to the younger fans as well. So I don't see it as necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely not a great thing either. Yeah, I think there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered with it. So it, it, it's just I can't see it being a seamless process where they all link up here shortly and you know everyone's back on the same terms and things like that. And that's just what's disappointing. Now, Kevin, you also cover the Pacers, and someone who we knew pretty well up here in Toronto was Nate Bjorkgren, but he had a good time in Toronto. He didn't have the best time in Indianapolis. What went wrong for the former Pacers coach? Yeah, you know, I, I honestly think he didn't get a great draw, and being the COVID year in his first season here, I liked a lot of the on-court basketball ideas that he had. I don't think the locker room gave him enough of a chance either. Um, so I think those are a couple things that that you can point to. So yeah, I felt bad for him because again, I thought a lot of his basketball ideas and 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 what he was trying to do and trying to change on the court, a lot of it made sense. But um, I think he was just a hair in in over his head and just running a locker room. And again, the players I didn't think gave him enough of a chance there uh, to help him in that area either. Fair enough. But they're they've got a seasoned campaigner and Rick Carlisle leading them. They've also got stars such as Buddy Hyde and Miles Turner. What's the outlook for the Pacers in 2022-2023? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it again, I keep on bringing up Vegas. They are not one of the uh, teams expected to make the Eastern Conference playoffs, I believe. Their win total is 25.5, the over-under there. So not very good. Last year, they had a top-10 pick for the first time since the late 1980s, which is kind of wild to think about. So... It's a rebuilding year. Benedict Matherin, a Canadian they have on their team, they're really high on. They drafted him out of Arizona, and rightfully so. I think there's a lot of talent to work with there and plays a modern-day position that's really key and something that they've struggled with. Tyrese Halliburton is a young point guard that they feel like there's a lot of promise, and and I agree with that as well. So it's a new era. It's a new era for the Pacers. It's going to be a lot of growing pains, uh, the wins and losses. I don't think it necessarily how you measure this this season. So I'll be curious to see just how the young development is. I want to say they have like five or six former lottery picks on their team. Just seeing how all that meshes together and grows together will be interesting. Absolutely. And now Indiana's historically been a, I guess a basketball state. I feel like as an outsider looking in that when Peyton Manning came along and took the Colts to so many playoff runs, took them to multiple Super Bowls and won one of them, that the state became more of a football state. Is that, would that be correct? Or what's the sporting landscape like in general out there in Indiana? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I, honestly, if you probably looked at the boy names of like how boys were named in this state, I think you probably got a few Peytons uh, there in the uh, 2000s. So, yeah, I, I think from the building of Lucas Oil Stadium to getting a Super Bowl here in 2012, you know, I, it's probably fair to say without Peyton Manning, I don't know if I have a job, nor do I know if I'm doing this conversation with you guys right now. So I, I, I think that is something that uh, he did so much for the city, for the state. And the Pacers obviously went through their own issues on the court and off the court as well. And that probably didn't help things out in that area. Yeah, I still remember Malice in the Palace. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You had to go there. How could I not? It's it's iconic. I mean... It's on Netflix. Well, (laughs) there's that, too. It's 
that was a heck of a moment out there in in Michigan. Um, yeah. So I always kind of ask this question. I'm always just actually genuinely curious right now. Have you ever been to Canada? The only time I've been to Canada was for a Colts-Bills game. I went on the Niagara Falls side of Canada, and we got dinner in that town. Uh, it was cool. It, it was a great time. It was beautiful. I really enjoyed it. But I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that that might not count as like truly going to Canada. I mean, it's like those people who are like, oh, I've been to Germany, but they've sat in the airport for like four hours, and it's like, <laughs> no, you haven't been to Germany. Frankfurt is a nice airport, though. Oh, Frankfurt's uh, brilliant. Well, so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you've done more. I, I'd say you dipped your toe into Canada. Probably okay, just the well, pinky I'm, toe. Uh, I'm glad I did that and did not dip my toe into Niagara Falls. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. But when you were over in Canada, did you have a poutine by chance, good sir? Uh, I did not. I don't know if I'm familiar with that. Ooh, let me, uh, let me, let me learn you real quick, as the okay, kids say. Okay. So poutine is basically fries, cheese curds, and gravy. That's like the basics. Well, you, you, you could have stopped at fries or cheese <laughs> or gravy, and I would have been all about it. So that sounds incredible. For sure. And we actually have poutine specialized restaurants here where you could have like pulled pork on it. You could have ham. You could have different types of gravy, whether it's mushroom-based, beef-based, turkey-based, whatever. It's so, so good. And if you ever come back up here, we'll have to treat you to one. I, I I love it. You, yeah, you don't have to tell me twice. Honestly, I might I might just drive up to Windsor just to just to get one right now. <laughs> uh, Windsor, uh, the armpit of Ontario. We love Windsor. <laughs> the armpit of Ontario. I've never heard that one. You've never heard of the armpit of Ontario? No. Oh yeah, it's that Windsor. Like, that was like the big thing for like my eighteen year old friends to like. Oh yeah, let's go up there and uh, you know it'll be our first chance to go to a go to a casino or go to a strip club or something like that. Yeah, that sounds like Windsor. That that sounds like <laughs> Windsor. <laughs> Come experience your first everything. Good yeah, and bad. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Now this has been a fun experience. We've enjoyed it, Kevin. We can find you on Twitter at kbowen one zero seven zero. And if you follow Kevin right now, you find out his very fresh update on Rigoberto Sanchez. We won't spoil it for you, but Kevin, wh- where else can the good people find you on social media? Yeah, so it's pretty much KBO and 1070 across all platforms. Co-host a morning show here in Indianapolis from 7 to 10 a.m. each morning. So you can head to my Twitter page to find out a link to that and, and uh, produce some written work for our website, 1075thefan.com. So I think that pretty much covers all the basis in terms of where you can access my work. There you go. I just gave you a follow. That's right. I appreciate that. Indy's only morning drive sports show. So Correct. do yourself a favor if you're out there. And if you're not out there, get on the website and check out Kevin's content. Now, Kevin, I can't let you go without a bold prediction for the rest of the year. Because you cover a few sports. you got the Pacers and the Colts on lock. You're a golf fan. So... Be bold. Give us a nice, bold prediction for the rest of the year. Okay, okay. Um, I've been thinking about my Super Bowl pick for this year, and this is going to sound a little wild. Now, last year I had Bills and Rams, so, I, you know, I, I, I was pretty close um, to that coming to fruition. This year I'm thinking outside the box. I'm about to become a father of two here in a few weeks, so maybe I'm just going crazy imagining how I'm going to handle that. But I'm going to go with the – Las Vegas Raiders and the Dallas Cowboys to be in the Super Bowl this year. 
Okay, now the, I believe the Raiders are hosting the Super Bowl, so that would keep the trend going of teams playing in their own stadium because the Buccaneers started it and won it, and the Rams hosted and won it last year. So there we go. We could have a, a doozy in the desert. I don't know. I feel like faces would melt, though, with those two fan bases coming together. <laughs> it might <laughs> yeah, be a bit I much. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's probably an accurate, accurate way to put it. Now, that would be awesome. Now, you don't have to tell us the, the gender of your child, but so are you going to name your next child Peyton? <laughs> it's funny you say that. I've had a few Colts fans that have reached out to me, boy and girl. Um, That's right. With Peyton. So uh, we do not have a boy or a girl, a girl name picked, and we're about two weeks away, so we probably should find out that. Uh, we don't know the sex, obviously. So we are in scramble mode for some names, but I, Peyton is not on uh, on either list. Okay, fair enough. We'll watch this space, and uh, we look forward to seeing what the name is in any case. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.